Reading from the Gospel according to Matthew, the 22nd chapter, beginning with the 34th verse. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them this question. What do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David by the Spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David thus calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one was able to give him an answer. Nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So these guys were trying to trick Jesus again. It's the third time in in, in Matthew's gospel, the third time in a row, someone has come to Jesus trying to test him with a question, trying to trick him and get him to say something odd. The last time we dealt with this was when they brought the coin into the temple. And this time they seem to have different reasoning. And it's odd to me because the Shema, the portion of Scripture that Jesus quotes, I want to read that to you. It's from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 5. It sounds like this. Hear, O Israel... The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Here's the interesting thing about the Shema. Shema is Hebrew for hear. And so that portion of Scripture is called the Shema. And what I have read and what I have been told in seminary by a knowing, you know, one of the knowledgeable professor types, he has a beard and everything is that they recited this in the morning and in the evening. Even the children recited the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is your God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. They quoted that to themselves every day, every morning, every evening. And so for them to come and ask Jesus, which is the greatest commandment, would be like me going to Einstein and say, hey, what's two plus two? They kind of already knew the answer. They were shopping for something different, I guess, trying to test him to see what he would say, to see if he would buck the tradition, to see if he would say something different. I remember one time when Leanne first came to live with us, I was going to teach her how to pray at night, and I started to do the whole, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die, some man said, no, no, no. (laughs) She'll be terrified to go to sleep. And it was hard for me to break that tradition. 
And that's, I think, what they're trying to get Jesus to do, to say that their tradition doesn't matter, that the commandment that they read most often, the one that they turn to as the forming commandment of their life together, they read it at the synagogue together, they introduced worship together. It was the basis of life that the Lord is your God implies that God loves us. Because after all, for God to be our God, God has to choose to be our God, right? If God would allow us to address God as God, that means that God must first choose us. And that means that God must love us. And so it formed the basis of everything they thought and everything they did. But, you know, we might be wondering, so why didn't Jesus say one of the ten? I have our handy list of the ten commandments from our book of worship. It's stylized from the book of Common Prayer. And it's given to us as a way to do a responsive reading for this. And I would bet that if somebody came up to us and said, Hey, what's the greatest of the commandments? Our first thought would be, which of the ten is most important? We would go to something that has been held up for us. And this is the way this goes. God spoke from the mountain and said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And then the people would all respond, Almighty God, write your law upon our hearts. And the reading continues. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not wrongfully use the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. Interesting to me is that Jesus includes these in a list of things he says. When he says all the law, he means all of the Torah, all of the first five books of the Bible, all of those books, the Pentateuch that is committed to having been written by Moses, all of those works that we turn to to see how is it that God says the people of God should live. All of those commandments, Jesus says, And then everything that the prophets ever commanded hang on this one commandment. Oh, wait, no, he said there's two, didn't he? Uh Oh, trick or treat. Wait, Jesus answered the question about one with how many commandments? Was it one or two? It was two, wasn't it? Oh, wait. He said on these two hang... As if we would take this to the wall and stick a pin in it and hang it on the wall so that it can't be moved. We put it up there, it matters, right? Remember that little first little drawing your child or your grandchild ever gave you and you stuck it on the refrigerator because it was the world to you? You put a magnet on it to hold it to the refrigerator so it couldn't fall, right? That's in essence what Jesus is saying, that the whole law, all of these Ten Commandments that we would say make us holy, make us godly people, if we can just keep these, we can be acceptable to God. Jesus said all of these hang on the two he said that might be important. All of these ten and everything else that Moses gave us Everything else that Isaiah gave us, everything else that Jeremiah gave us, Hosea gave us, Habakkuk, Nahum, Nehemiah, all the rest of them. Every word they gave us hangs on those two commandments. So let me ask you, church, you reckon they're important? Maybe, right? 
Only, but only if I have only preacher, only if I have to love people I like. That's the answer, right? That's what we're stirring around with. No, no, that's that's messing with my life. That's gonna tell me I have to like people and love people that are my enemies or don't like me. Well, you know what? One of my preacher heroes said, you know, if you're happy with the way your life is, beware of Jesus. Because Jesus will get all up in your proclivities and all in your preferences. And on the I don't like so-and-sos and I don't like this kind of peoples. And remind you that you are no better than they. All of the law hangs on two commandments that the central tenet of is love. Love. And to be honest with you, sometimes that's hard for people to hear. But above all else, what else has Jesus shown us but that God loves us? By dying for us, even while we were still sinners. Above anything else, what has Jesus shown us other than that God loves us? In 1 John, when John takes up the subject of love, he says we love God because He first loved us. And not only that, he says, if you say you love God, but you don't love others, then guess what? You can't possibly love God. And that's what Jesus is tying together with these two commandments. You want to love God, then you love the people that God loves. That's how you do it. And who does God love? People like me? People like you? Or everyone? I'll let you answer. Is there anyone that God doesn't love? In our tradition, we say that Christ died for all. That the redeeming merits of Christ's death are available to anyone who would turn to Him in faith. We say that God loves all. We don't get to exclude. And that makes love very, 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 very difficult. Because ultimately love is exactly, what's on, is exactly what's on the side of this Home Depot bucket here that we've talked about with the kids. It's not a fuzzy feeling. It's commitment and it's action toward others. We know that from James. We know it from Paul in the love chapter when he tells us how love behaves. He doesn't tell us how love feels. He tells us how love behaves. If you need a quick reminder, it's from chapter 13 called, as I said, the love chapter. It goes like this. Love is patient, behavior. Love is kind, behavior. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. Again, behavior. It does not insist on its own way, behavior. It is not irritable or resentful. Again, that's behavior. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, behavior. It rejoices in truth. It bears all things. Behavior. Believes all things. Behavior. Hopes all things. A behavior. And endures all things. Again, something that we do. Jesus holds up as central how we live. And the first and greatest commandment as to how we should live is to love. 
Not that we do everything right, but that we love, that we be committed to others. And he says that the first one we should love is God. He said the first and greatest commandment is to love God with our whole self. Now he changes one word in there to mind. That's okay. He has the authority to do that because he's Jesus. But how, where does he get the authority to tie in this other thing and say that it's just like it? How does Jesus get the right to say that to love your neighbor as yourself is the same as to love God? I mean, where does he get off doing that? That's the subject of his question to them. When he says to them, hey, whose son is the Messiah? He's recalling that same slip that happens in the genealogy in Matthew where it says, where it says that Joseph was the husband of Mary, not the son of so-and-so or the father of Jesus, but the husband of Mary of whom Jesus was born. Whose son is he? And in Matthew's gospel, he's God's son. And if he's the Messiah, then the answer to Jesus' question is that David can call the Messiah Lord because he's the son of God, because he's God in the flesh, God incarnate. And that's the problem he's posing to the Pharisees. And he has the authority to join together love of God and love of neighbor because he wrote the book. Because it's the Spirit of God. The Spirit of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that inspired the prophets to write, that inspired Moses to write, inspired the whole book and all of it. And all of it comes from the same heart that binds the Father and the Son and the Spirit together, which is love. And so his answer to, hey, what's the greatest commandment is not thou shalt not kill. It's not show up to church on Sunday. It's not honor your mother and your father. It's not don't have any other gods before me. It's love God with your whole self. And love your neighbor as yourself. And everything else is pinned to the wall by those two commandments. They are the most important. And I think that's why in his letter to the Corinthians, Paul was so bent on telling them what love looks like. Loving our neighbor does not mean having warm affections for them. It means making flood buckets. It means taking meals to them when their loved ones die. It means making sure they have heat. It means making sure they have food. It means making sure they have clothing. It means making sure they can get to school, get to work. It means making sure they have opportunities to serve God. It means making sure that they know who Christ is. It means all of those things together, caring for their whole being. And you know what? It made people angry back then, and it still makes people angry to hear that because it means that we cannot be self-centered and follow Jesus. And that's hard. We cannot be self-centered, focused on ourselves, and only concerned about what we have and what we do, and follow Jesus. The two things are incompatible. Because to follow Jesus means to love God and love our neighbor. Trick or treat. It would have been easier if he said, don't kill. It would have been easier if he'd said, just pick one of those others. But instead, he gives us the one on which all the rest of them hang. And basically, what he's calling us to do is to get over ourselves. 
to stop serving ourselves and serve God by serving our neighbor. If we love someone, we love the things they love. We learn to love people because we do things with them, because we spend time with them. We learn to love people, to have the emotion of love because of what they do for us. But ultimately, love comes when we live with them and keep them in our heart, when we keep them at the core of our concern, when we put their needs as important as ours. That's what Jesus is calling us to. It doesn't fit neatly into any political strategy. It doesn't fit neatly into a Democratic Party or Republican Party view of the world, but it fits squarely into God's view of the world, that you are created to be a blessing to others, to be in relationship with others and relationship with God. And that is the center of all our hope, that God loves us and wants to be in relationship with us, and God wants us to extend that offer of love to others. And here's the question that we're left with. If I go to someone and I say to them, God loves you. And I don't care that their children are hungry. Will they believe me, church? If I go to them and say, but God loves you. And I don't care that their house is cold. Will they be able to believe me? No. And so Christ says the second is like the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. The two are the same. Loving God is to love others, and loving others is to love God. We'll hear Jesus say more about that when we get to Matthew 24, when he says that whoever we gave water to, whoever the least person we gave water to, we gave it to him. Whoever the least person we visited in prison or visit while they were sick, we did it to him. They go hand in hand. To love God is to love our neighbor. To love our neighbor is to love God. And to love is to serve. To put the other's needs in the same place as ours. To take them seriously. I'll leave you with this thought. I read this. It's written by Stanley Hauerwas, who's a professor at Duke Divinity School. And I thought it was brilliant. It says this, God's love helps us discover our self-centeredness and then overwhelms it. So dear ones, my prayer is that hearing Jesus today say that the first and greatest commandment is to love God and the second is like it, to love our neighbor as ourself, we challenge our self-centeredness and then overwhelm it. so that we could be centered on Christ instead. Give thought to that this week as you move through your circles, as you travel through your life. Give thought to those places that Christ might be calling you to serve so that others could know the love of God. God's love helps us discover our self-centeredness and then overwhelms it. Pray for that, dear ones. I pray for that for me as well. Amen.